Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health, with your hosts Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Today's episode is a MacGuffin with Hank Spaulding. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Today we are back with my friend Luke to discuss the next set of the Star Wars films and to do a brief coverage of our new trailer. Since we last had a, a podcast covering Star Wars, we have a new Obi-Wan trailer and we're going to be dropping content like this all the way up until the release of the Obi-Wan um, show on May 25th. And you'll get to hear Luke and I do recaps every week um, until that six-week film uh, set is done. So first and foremost, Luke, how are you this evening? I am doing great. Excited to talk more Star Wars, Hank. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I was, I was thinking about this. Like um, it's, it's funny. Like, so we, we recorded um, those first set of like Star Wars reflections and everything kind of all in one night, even though we spaced it out. Uh, But like ever since then, like I've been more Star Wars positive than I have been in a long time. Like I actually went back and watched a ton of the movies um and stuff like that so i don't know has has that changed at all for you oh it's just it's just good to talk about things that you like sometimes like it's it's so easy to get caught up in all the negativity and talking about stuff we don't like because there's a lot of that in the world today um but you know to sit around and talk about star wars for a few hours like we did and just talk about hey this is what makes it cool um was fun so i've I've been probably the same way yeah i watched uh well i watched some of the prequels because i forgot how how uh, much I enjoyed them. And I, I don't know if it's just me being a salty um, like sequel hater or whether the um, prequels don't get enough credit. I don't know which it is. Uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, but I, I have fond feelings about them. Um, I always watch them all up until about the time when Anakin turns because it's just... Uh, and then I skip over to the final battle between him and Obi-Wan. <laughs> mostly because... Mostly because, like... as I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older now or if that's a part of it, but, like, the scene where he kills the kids, it just... It, like, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, this is horrible. Yeah. Like, the one, like the one scene where he, like, goes into the room and the kids cut, like, are hiding. Oh, my God. Like, it's just so... It's so bad. Like, it's so yeah, it's bad. bad. Because it's yeah. like the most adorable kid ever, you know? I, f- I feel like in 2005, you could do that. I feel like that's not a scene that would make the cut in 2022. Just Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. Well, anyway, we got a new trailer, which is exciting. Uh, see a little bit more of uh, Obi-Wan's life. Um, I, know, I know we talked about this with our last trailer coverage, but, like, this has been the one show or one um story in star wars that i have been wanting them to tell ever since they put uh, they got done with the episode three because um and we've talked about this we'll talk about this to the probably the prequels but i felt like ewan, Mc, ewan mcgregor was one of the few people in those series that did not phone in his performance at any given time through thing that i 
I really valued. And so this story, I'm just, I'm so looking forward to. What are your thoughts on the trailer um, that we just got? Yeah, it's cool to see some of the the images we haven't seen before, but we really don't learn that much. You and I were talking about that a little bit earlier. Like they really don't show us much that we haven't seen before, um, or mm-hmm. at least they don't, they don't give us a whole lot of sense of how these pieces fit together, which honestly we, we talked about, like we're good with that. Like we don't really want to know yeah. what, the, what the overall kind of plot is. Um, we just want to see a couple of lightsabers and a couple of, you know, set pieces and just to pique our interest and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get us interested. Biggest thing obviously is the, the reveal of Darth Vader, who, which we don't see fully. We just see as kind of his chess piece. Um, but you know, they're, they're building hype for the, the big Vader mm-hmm. reveal in, in the show. So it was good. Um, you know, it definitely got me more interested. The only piece of it is I think because they haven't shown us much plot, uh, I still have a bit of a feeling like it, it felt a little flat, you know, because there's really no strong narrative, um, yeah. impulse in, in the trailer. I was mm-hmm. a little bit like, ah, I don't, I don't know. It didn't quite hit me as strongly as I thought it would, but um, yeah, because they don't want to tell us too much. Yeah. And it's like, there's a lot of things happening in the trailers. Like obviously like the inquisitors, which is a big part of the uh, star, star Wars, clone wars, um, like uh, saga, even the uh, rebels piece. Like you, you have the inquisitors there, there. Um, but like, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Like, for example, you know, very clearly at some point, Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine. Um, and why does he go? Where does he go? There's this person that the Inquisitors catch in, in the, in the Moss Eisley, I would guess. Um, it's, it's definitely not Moss Vespa, that's for sure. Um, and so the, the challenge is, is like, with, when you don't have that much buy-in in a story, I mean, they're really relying on, and you know, this is fair, they're relying on the fact that people are really interested in knowing what Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan is doing. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's pretty fair. So, um, I mean, let's, let's dig into like kind of the, I think probably the biggest reveal of it is the conversation between Obi-Wan and um, Owen Lars, you know, so that, again, that scene, even just in the short snippet, I mean, there's been tons of memes that's been made about this already, but yeah. Um, and, and, and we had talked about this in our last one. I don't know if you remember this, but in our very first trailer coverage of the Obi-Wan series, we mentioned that, you know, Obi-Wan seemed like he's kind of a jaded, we lost kind of um, character. But here he's actually presenting, he's like, no, no, Luke does need to be trained. Um, and so it seems like that's a little bit more of a um, like positive spin that he's trying to take on on Luke instead of just like staying safe and staying hidden he he has he has this desire to see luke trained which is the thing that i always appreciated about you know like obi-wan and in some sense like one of the things especially when we get to the sequels on this topic like to parallel what he does with what luke does in isolation um and like obi-wan always seemed to have more of a like um lack of a better term like um respect for his duty and his calling as a Jedi and Luke kind of lost that after his kind of big defeat. Right. So like dealing with the wake of like your, your disciples turning to the dark side, um, Obi-Wan will always seem to be filled with more hope than Luke did after that. And so what do you think of that reveal now with Owen and and Obi-Wan kind of talking about the training of Luke as a Jedi, I assume. Yeah. I like the fact that we're going to get more of that history. Um, 
I guess I like that. I don't know. There, there's something about some of those lines in A New Hope. Um, like the first time Obi-Wan mentions the Clone Wars, for example, uh, or some of the backstory that he's given Luke about his father, even though a lot of it's a lie. Like some of that, I, I think it's like, okay, we don't have to explore like every single nook and cranny of this history, right? And just like see it all play out on screen or know kind of like every every interaction um, like some mystery is good to those things but i think it's i think yeah. it, overall i think it'll be good like that we get a little bit more history um, and a little bit more context for where obi-wan um and onr in a new hope um when luke you know mm-hmm. first mentions obi-wan's name to him and, and why he just gets such a frosty response um and he's like yeah stay away from him. you don't want anything to do with that guy so i, I think yeah. that'll be that'll be neat certainly to see that play out a little bit i the, the one question i asked you and what i'm interested to see to see is like what does owen really know about um about anakin right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. not many people in the galaxy aside from obi-wan and yoda and ahsoka and i'm not really sure who else yeah. certainly not many like know that anakin skywalker is darth vader i'm guessing that owen does not know that and he's probably just looking at like Oh, you trained Anakin and then, you know, you got him killed basically is probably what he's thinking. But I'm curious, yeah. you know, does does Owen know that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. In some sense, like by this time, Ahsoka would know that I'm assuming this is after. I don't really know where this is at in relation to um, Ahsoka's battle with Darth Vader uh, and Rebels. And so um, they need to they need to put that put this on a timeline for us. Um, but yeah, like it's, uh, it's one of those things that I like, clearly Luke, by the time we get to a new hope does not know very much at all about his father. Uh, he knows that Ben Kenobi exists, but he doesn't know anything about like any truthful thing about his father, other than the fact that he, he died. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested also to see kind of like what, like, why does Owen have the feeling that he does because like the owen you meet for example in in episode two he's he seems to be generally unjaded i would say like he's he's a pretty helpful guy like he meets anakin he seems pretty nice you know um i would be interested to see if they play back like what obi-wan tells them when he drops luke off at their door um because you just see a brief glimpse of that in episode three you don't really see um you don't really see anything like, um, def- like you don't hear any kind of conversations there. So um, I'm wondering what it is that actually leads Owen to kind of take that rather aggressive position towards Obi-Wan. Like, is there something else that happens? Is it just the, maybe the fact of like seeing that whoever it is strung up in the, uh, in the square is actually uh, something that's a trigger for him. I don't know, but I'm kind of curious too. Like that's one of the relationships that I, I like the most. <laughs> I would like to see the most of. I don't know why Obi Wan and Owen would be great, but like that, those two actors are just great. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't like they knew that when they cast him for this bit role back before he kind of became a bigger deal. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that kind of like angst um, that's there for sure. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, another thing I, I wanted to ask, just because um, I'm curious, I, I'm curious on this because, and this is just at the backdrop. I, I mean, obviously, it's probably just for stealth reasons, but there's a lot of there's a lot more fighting that you see in this film or in this in this uh, like episode or this trailer, um, and you see Obi Wan working a lot with a blaster, which you know cue his famous phrase. Um, 
I'm wondering, because, I mean, they're not just going to have Obi-Wan using blasters this entire series. Like, there's just no way. Um, I wonder what the impetus is going to be. And this is just speculation, I think, at this point. Um, like, I wonder what the impetus is going to be for him to finally, like, <laughs> like be like, all right, I've, I've caused enough, like, chaos and, and people know where, where and who I am. I probably need to just go ahead and use this lightsaber now. But um, I'm wondering your thoughts on kind of the battle scenes and like Obi-Wan obviously using a lightsaber and things like that. But uh, yeah, any, any speculation on what the impetus is going to be? That's a good question. Um, we, may, we may not see it until the Vader fight. I don't know. Uh, it, just because, the, you know, they're going to hold on to that moment as long as they can. We, we saw for the first time, I think, or maybe, maybe the second time, I think there may have been a brief shot in the last trailer, but we saw for the first time, like really significantly, you know, the, the lightsabers of the Inquisitors in this one. Like there was a lot more, yeah. there was a lot more lightsaber action in this trailer than there was in the last one. Um, and obviously they're going to hold on to the actual show to show us when Obi-Wan does that. But I think, um, yeah, I think you're going to get a situation potentially maybe where, where Luke is in grave danger um, you mm. know, or, or, or something really significant is about to happen um, for him to, you know, kind of pull that out. Cause you're right. We, we don't see it. They don't show it first, obviously for kind of tension and build up reasons, but, but we do see a lot of fighting, you know, hand-to-hand combat. We see Obi-Wan using the blaster again. Um, but yeah, that lightsaber is coming out and everybody's going to go. <gasps> so they're, yeah. they're going to make that. A moment. <laughs> yeah, they will. And in, in some sense, like the, the, the star Wars series. And I would say with the exception of, I guess there's only been, I guess there's really only been the Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Um, uh, the Mandalorian has been a gift. Like they've shot it, I think in ways that has been really good. Um but I, I do think you're right. Like there's gonna like gonna be a moment at the end of like one episode where he like reaches into a box and pulls out his lightsaber and then that's it. Um, and they're definitely building towards Vader. We speculated last time that there might be some flashback scenes, hence why Hayden Christensen is coming back. Because if he was just in the suit the entire time, there wouldn't be a real reason to have Hayden Christensen come back. Um, because why would you need that? He's not even the right height for what Vader is in terms of his height. Um, so I'm wondering <clears throat> what um, what they're going to use him as. Obviously, this is building to a reunion between Vader and Obi-Wan because the kind of the big tagline of this one is like, you can't escape him. Um, and clearly they're gesturing towards Vader, which is the final scene of where it looks like. And I doubt this is actually the scene where he sees Vader again for the first time, but um it ends with obi-wan looking off camera at somebody whom we presume to be darth vader and so i mean in terms of this kind of confrontation is there anything you're expecting from this or anything you're hoping maybe from this i don't know about in terms of the confrontation i said last time i really do want some flashbacks you know i think like i think to see some flashbacks into the clone wars and uh Mm -hmm. you know to have to see obi-wan you know kind of don the, the clone wars get up and um you know, give some like live action, uh, yeah, just some live action to what we've seen in the Clone Wars cartoon. I think would be really, really cool to see. Um, yeah. So I, I really hope. I, I'd be surprised if they didn't give us some of that. I feel like that's that's got to be on their list somewhere um, to include. But I'm I'm certainly anticipating that that we'll get some of that. And I think, like you said, it makes sense to bring Hayden Christensen back for the, for that reason as well. Did you did you by chance see? Um, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor's quote about seeing Darth Vader. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember that it was just kind of this like overwhelming of like fear, right? When you yeah. see, 
yeah, he's, he said something to the effect of like, I like we we kind of rehearsed, you know, with like whoever it was, was Hayden Christensen or Stunt Double, whoever, but he's like, we rehearsed, you know, without the helmet on. And then they said action and out comes Darth Vader, like in the full get up. And he said he was like genuinely terrified um, of, you know, what he saw, which was which is pretty cool. So hopefully that comes across on, on screen. I'm sure it will. Um, he's a great actor. But yeah, I'm, I'm super just intrigued to see how they're going to weave all this together in a way that keeps kind of keeps the narrative of a new hope intact. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And yet, still brings Obi Wan and Anakin, or Obi Wan and Vader, into contact with each other um, in a way that they can have a meaningful interaction. So, yeah, totally. And I think that's just one of those things that, like, I- I'm I'm super ready for the show. You know, I I would hope, and I mean, they're going to release a long trailer, but um, I'm looking forward to this series very very much for that reason of like seeing a confrontation again, like to think like for the longest time I thought like you know there was like the gap was between the end of three to the beginning of four and they didn't see each other in between didn't fight in between but now we've learned that that's not the case and so I'm very interested to see how that goes because kind of the last lightsaber battle they have is a little I mean and and there's no way to around this because at the time like it was (laughs) Alec Guinness you know fighting uh just a stunt double so it wasn't going to be this big flashy scene um now granted i think that the like the way that they've redone that in recent years that actually looks pretty great like the the reshoot that they did um i would be happy if they just adopted that into episode four <laughs> um, uh for sure but none, nonetheless like the uh I, I am looking forward to seeing what a reunion between them is going to look like obviously like obi-wan has to not maybe maybe not win but he has to at least like um uh, not die because obviously he's, he's he's around for the rest of the movies and so you kind of know the outcome but i'm just curious to know what it actually looks like and feels like well and, um, and what it, what vader says in new hope right is when you know when i left you i was with the learner now i'm the master so it almost sounds like again like obi-wan best vader a second time you know that um that the outcome is not in vader, vader's favor which would explain how he how he gets away right <laughs> like right he's captured like how does obi-wan actually escape that situation um you know so who knows maybe obi-wan takes uh, takes vader to task a second time yeah i'm all for it you know it would be hilarious if they just end up back on mustafar again like the same place yeah and it's actually it's and it's the actual same thing that happens like he tries to jump over him and, <laughs> and obi-wan cuts his leg off so uh and so like the reason why vader's the master in episode four is that he's actually he's actually on the level ground with them the entire time um, <laughs> i learned not to jump at this time that's right well anyway that's that'll be good stuff we'll, we'll still cover if there's another trailer um like a main trailer i'm not interested in covering like every tv spot but um we might you might see us again um covering another trailer here just to kind of get our thoughts as we're building up to obi-wan uh, we've got a couple more things, obviously, to do. The interquels, the uh, sequels, and the uh, TV shows will will be coming up, so you can see those in the next three weeks. Um, and we might even do some other stuff, so stay tuned to see what we're doing. But today's main focus is on the prequels, um, which for both of us, Luke and I, um, we grew up in the era where the original trilogy was out. We talked about this last time where there was that box set that came out that both of us bought. And then they released the the special edition (laughs) and all that good stuff. And um, then there was these kind of whispers of the prequels. And then eventually the prequels came out. I was in fifth grade. I'm I'm assuming you were in like sixth grade 
or something like yeah. that. Six. Yeah. So yeah, like these movies came out, um, and we were um, relatively young, and and they received uh, a mixed reception amongst. Uh, I, I would guess very similar to how the sequels have received um, been received recently. It's just there wasn't as much social media around that, so it didn't feel as toxic. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so we got the prequels. As you kind of look back on your first experience with the prequels, just like we'll just focus on episode one. Like this is a new Star Wars movie coming out. Um, it's not the original trilogy. It's before everything. You're getting to learn about Anakin. What are some of the things you remember about the, the build up to the release of that movie, The Phantom Menace? Yeah, I was I was obviously much less critical as a 12 year old. Right. So I was yeah. excited. I was excited for new star Wars. And um, I remember, mm-hmm. I remember trying to watch the trailer and we, if internet was so slow and you know, it was <laughs> like right. the, the quick, t- the quick time trailers, you know? Um, so I remember like hit and play and then pause and then waiting like literally like 45 minutes or t- like two hours. <laughs> I don't know what it was for the, the, the thing to load. And, uh, right. you know, just that first shot from the trailer, if you remember of like the, the Gungans coming through the mist before you even knew what a Gungan was, you know, and, and just like right. all that, all that build up, it was super, super exciting. Um, and, you know, and then the toys came out, right. The little, uh, I forget what they were called, but the ones, you know, you kind of like plug their feet into a, uh, a little plastic chip and it gave you a little quote right. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that was, right. that, was, that was just super cool. Like as a 12 year old to, to see all that come yeah. out. Um, and, and I, you know, the nice thing about being that age, as opposed to being like a critical 35 year old man child is right. Like, <laughs> you, you just, you just accept everything, you know, and yeah. you go in and you're like, I saw some lightsabers. I saw some battle droids stuff blew up. Like, that was that was pretty cool. I'll, I'll watch that again. <laughs> I remember yeah. this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I remember when I came home from seeing Attack of the Clones, I was like, "That was the best movie ever" because it had the most lightsabers, you know. But like, there's that's right. There's some innocence to uh, to that kind of perspective. So that's definitely how I felt about uh, Phantom Menace. Yeah. Even after I saw it, like I see its flaws now as as a movie, but even back then, um, I was like, "That's pretty sweet." Yeah, uh, same thing. Like I. I remember, um, and in some sense, like I also heard, because uh, I watched the, there's a really great documentary on Netflix about the toys that made us that covers the release in the 60s and 70s of the Star Wars toys um, and how Kenner kind of brought together, like, you know, like they, they actually made it to where you had to like do a subscription kind of to their toy service. And you paid like, I mean, a lot of money for back then. And you just got like a box with like names of characters that you've never met before, <laughs> you know, and, and they're going to like be filling those slots kind of in this little box they send you. So you kind of had to hope that they were going to fill it out, but they needed the money in order to complete the, uh, complete the orders. Um, but I mean, obviously they did it a little bit different. Um, this go around, they obviously they used Hasbro, I think, right. Hasbro is their main kind of toy distributor by this point. They actually, I so. think started using Hasbro back when they did the special editions because Hasbro released the new wave of star Wars toys. And I had a ton of those, but I just remember like seeing the first time I ever saw one is I was, um, sitting at a graduation for my eldest sister and there's a kid in front of me who had one of the C-3PO's. And if you know the C-3PO toy from this movie, the first one, Phantom Phantom Menace, he didn't have like the brass covering. He's just all wires. And I was just like, I, was, I, I tugged on my mom's shirt and I was like, 
is that, is that a and I like I mean like she's gonna know <laughs> but at that age I, I was like is that one of the things and she's like uh it could be it could be and I just remember like after that my mom and I going to a toy store and we couldn't find it anywhere uh they're all sold out you know of everything like they had just released that weekend and I remember getting those slowly over time and building up because I didn't even know who these people were I mean I knew who Obi-Wan was obviously but like, you know, my, she bought, my mom did like a Darth Maul, Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, I even, so did, I sent in, I don't know if you did this. I sent in the, um, like the early, like uh, uh, stuff that I forget what cereal box it was where you could get early access to one of the figures and it was Mace Windu. And so I have this Mace Windu toy and he's got a blue lightsaber, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, and the, uh, the other thing was this droid on a, uh, on one of its like speeder droid, uh, speeders and everything like that. And I had those, I had no idea what they did. I had no, I had no idea who Mace Windu was, all that kind of stuff. And so I just remember getting these things slowly over time and just being like, I am hyped for this. <laughs> um, but even like from the, from the jump, like I watched this movie as a kid. I, I don't know how my parents agreed to do this, but they did. My poor dad. Um, I went to this in theaters eight times. <laughs> um, and I saw it eight times. I just remember like begging my parents to take me back and going. And I remember the day that it came out on video, my mom went like, she was a school teacher and you can sympathize with this too, from your past of being a school teacher, you, have, you know, how early you got to get up to get to school and things like that. She woke up even earlier to go to Walmart <clears throat> to buy a copy of the VHS. This is how old I am. The VHS of episode one to bring it back to my house i i remember i couldn't sleep that night before getting that waiting for that vhs and i just watched it on repeat for days and days and days until i just wore out that vhs copy but i mean it was just it was special like i don't know why i i can't really describe it as anything else but it just even to this day when i watch it like that feeling of like nostalgia and specialness comes back to me because it was so fresh and new and um i mean as a kid obviously um seeing those things like on screen learning a little bit about the backstory later i would come back and say okay jake lloyd you are a terrible actor um as a kid um but and, and i hope that your recovery is going well and rehab jake lloyd if you do see this but you probably won't but i you are and were a terrible child actor um and so anyway the, i i loved it i loved it for that reason but let's just i mean let's just dive a little bit into it then kind of into it these then the, the 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 kind of feel of these movies are different and i think you used it as kind of an expression here that taught me this space opera is kind of what he was going for george lucas was in these films which is a very different kind of um ethos as to what he was trying to do in the original trilogy um but it felt very big um i mean you got to explore all these planets as opposed to the same like three <laughs> that you were in um in the original trilogy but yeah, so like as we're looking at Phantom Menace, like what are I mean, what are some of the things that you remember that you really liked, or even maybe things that you still like to this day? It's funny. So I just I just rewatched I rewatched Phantom Menace yesterday. Um, yeah, in preparation, and nice. Uh, this <laughs> you're gonna hate me, and we might disagree. This is not a good movie. Like <laughs> mm. I watched it, and it's just no, it's hot garbage. You're absolutely right. <laughs> there, there are certain things that are good, and some of it's just good because of Star Wars. There are certain things that that are really interesting, but then there's just so much that's like, oh man, this is. It's hard to engage with. I think is like the the biggest thing for me is like 
everybody, nobody acts like a human being. And this has been covered, you know, in, in a number of ways by a lot of different people, but like nobody acts like, like a real person. You know, you've got these like kind of weird Jedi monks. You've got this queen who's supposed to be 14, but talks like, I don't know, like super wooden and stilted. The Jedi oh, yeah. who are like super distant. Like there's just nobody to really like connect to in the movie. And so it's yeah. just, it's just really, it's just really odd to watch because you're like this, this is really strange. The interesting thing yeah. about the right. interesting thing about the prequels though, in general, is that the story is actually great. So I remember yes. like a, a long time ago, um, I don't know, maybe like probably six, eight years ago, like I was talking to somebody on Reddit, you know, like responding to a comment. And it was basically a as thread. As one does. As one does. But it was a thread that was like, what would you change? Or, you know, what would your plot be for the prequels? And, you know, I was typing out, like, imagine that if the story instead of this was this, 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 this. And I realized, like, as I was typing it out, I was like, holy crap, this is the story. Like, this is exactly the story that George Lucas told of, you know, this young man who's frustrated by these things, who is, you know, has these trust issues, <laughs> you know, this oh. really complicated background who gets a mentor who, you know, and like, it's a, it's really a great classic kind of story yeah. of what happens to Anakin. It's just that the execution is is just not good on film you know and so if you just break it down to kind of plot points or break it down to overall character arcs like it's it's brilliant as good as anything that george lucas did in in your original star wars but it's just on screen um there's just a lot of a lot of issues so. yeah yeah you're i mean you're absolutely right i mean to say that like i'm nostalgic about it is not to say that it was good um <laughs> by any means i mean i just i mean Every time I hear Duel of the Fates, I think of that first time I saw mm-hmm. Darth Maul face off with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And that for me was it. Because as a kid, you know, I was like, how do I get more of this lightsaber thing? Like, I, I remember, I remember Luke, like, tearing through that, like, um, that barge of Jabba's and thinking, like, this, this can be awesome. Um, but, um, you know, I had no idea how to incorporate like even what we got in the first like 10 minutes of star wars in terms of what they were doing you know they're cutting through doors they're slicing through through bad guys i mean they were doing some great stuff but the story is just not it's not told well um and i don't know if like part of it is like because he got some good actors i mean ian mcgregor like like we've talked about like he really does his best to try and show something i mean with Anakin, I, I mean, I feel like the reason why there's so many wooden characters is that I think they really do want you to sympathize with Anna, Anakin, but his delivery just isn't that great. Like, you know, he's the one person that's just supposed to be a person person. Um, he's not a Gungan. He's not a droid. He's not a Jedi. Yeah. And he's he's not a, a like a member of the royal class. And so they really want you to to kind of invest in him because they really want you to be invested in the fall, I'm assuming. Um, <clears throat> but the handoff between uh, Jake and Hayden is just so awkward, you know. And I think it's just because like they have in mind their age ages, you know. And Natalie Portman is like a full grown woman. <laughs> And it's, I mean, they try and temper that down as much as they can. <laughs> in the film, like, to try and make her as much like a girl as possible. But Jake Lloyd really looks like a kid. Because he actually is a kid. 
you know? And so like when you get to episode two, like I just don't buy like his romantic kind of side and that kind of thing. Um, the other thing is that this is this is also this, the the movie that George Lucas becomes obsessed with screen wipes. Um, <laughs> it it is not yet as bad as it gets in episode three. That is that is unforgivable in my opinion. Is the screen wipes, but um, and how many there are and how bad they are. Like I think the the worst scene transition is when on the on Kashyyyk, um, <clears throat> Yoda's just sitting up in the watchtower and he gets kind of blasted, and then they just do a screen wipe away. And I was like, this is a transition that a child thought of like <laughs> this makes no sense to me so anyway but yeah there's nothing really that great about the first um movie in terms of like execution but like you're you're absolutely right when you say that the story is just very compelling like uh, uh, these two um like monk warriors in an attempt to save a queen find themselves stranded on this desert planet and enlist the help of a young boy who is very sensitive with the force into helping them save the galaxy. I mean, how cool is that? I um, think I think you make a great point about the age thing. I, I really honestly think like they could have avoided a lot of trouble um, if they would have mm-hmm. just aged up Anakin a few years. Like yeah. if, if Anakin is 13 or 14, you know, when, yeah. when they meet him as opposed to nine, I think it makes a big difference because A, you're probably looking at a better quality actor, right? Um, and so just from a performance standpoint, you're going to get better, but I feel like the, the chemistry between somebody who's like 14 with Natalie Portman, who was like, you know, 16, 17 at the time, like that's going to be stronger. You're going to buy their connection a little bit more. You're going to be able to treat him with a little bit more seriousness. It's still a big deal to be a slave and still a big deal to be like torn away from your mother when you're 13 or 14, like those elements still work. Um, I, and I just, you know, I think that. I, I think George Lucas went with a kid because he's kind of the point of view character for little kids, which is what supposedly Star Wars is, is about and for, although a lot of weird politics and then slaughtering children in episode three, like not sure how that's for that's right. children, but, yeah. but like, I think he, I think he picked him as like, okay, we're going to do a nine-year-old because there's a lot of nine-year-olds who are going to watch this movie, um, mm-hmm. which, which makes sense. But man, I just really think they could avoid a lot of pitfalls if Anakin was just a couple of years older. Um, I think it would have mm-hmm. made for a, a much easier story to tell across all three movies. Yeah, no, you're right. And in some sense, like one of the reasons that you're, you're right, the execution is so poor is because the story is largely propped up by this love story. That's ultimately the reason why Anakin turns to the dark side. It is, it is the main kind of like story device that's meant to push this thing forward through all three episodes um that's the central theme um but the chemistry between i mean the, you don't feel it at all in jake and, and natalie portman and nor neither should you because i'm sure natalie portman could not as great of an actress as she is um which you know i say that a little tongue-in-cheek i'm not saying that she's a terrible actress but she's not the best um you know she's she's got some chops though as good as she is like making it like believable for a romance between her in her 20s clearly and a child <laughs> like that's just <laughs> impossible but it's just it is it is cringe it is cringe the first time that um Hayden and Natalie Portman are on camera together it's just so bad like I 
every time I, I try and watch Attack the Clones, like I can't even make it through <laughs> those, those scenes because I don't know. Like, I mean, in some sense, and I, I, there's been a lot of podcasts and notes on this. Is like if Obi Wan, like he's hearing what we're all hearing, and he doesn't do anything. Like this is not this is not normal behavior for a Jedi or for anybody really. Like the the whole idea of like. Uh, how just like you know again grossly um like stalkerish he sounds but like even their like love romantic scenes like in like on Naboo like it is just the worst kind of chemistry the only like the <laughs> only movie that I've seen that's worse um uh would have been there's this I forget what it was it I forget the name of the movie but I um I remember like thinking like this is just the worst kind of chemistry I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, and that's that's partially why I think the whole series falls flat is that that love story no one ever really bought it to. No, I, I agree. And I think that uh, there's I think there's been some like rose-colored glasses on looking back at his performance in that um and I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the script. I think George Lucas just has never been great at dialogue, but but was much mm-hmm. better, most much better in the 70s and 80s <laughs> than he was in yeah. like, the late 90s. But like people are like, oh, he's, you know, he's supposed to be awkward and that's why he comes off that way. And like, they're trying mm-hmm. to kind of re- redeem that and be like, well, he's, you know, he's not supposed to be suave. He's an awkward kid. And I just feel like it's, it's just not, like it's a bad script along with like a kind of pretty wooden performance. And it's just not good. Because I think as George Lucas is writing this, I think he's probably thinking like, yeah, people are, people really are going to buy into this romance into them. And because like you said, it is, yeah. it is this, it's the central driver of the entire prequel trilogy is this relationship between he and Padme and you look at some of the chemistry that they got out of the actors in the original trilogy and then you compare it to the chemistry of the actors in the prequel trilogy and it's like it's just night and day um between how this character yeah Yeah, I mean and some like you can pull off awkward teenager like but not with Hayden Christensen like that's not not his strength right yeah um and I don't know, like, he, there's nothing about him if you, like, see him as, like, just a normal person thinks that that's the person for that role, you know, and things like that. And so it's just one of those things that, like, I, I think about, um, I think about this story, um, and I think about all the different ways in which um, that romance just was not pulled off well. Um, and I, I, I kind of mourn that because, in a sense, like, um john williams i think the only thing like i think i mentioned this before we talked about this in our last podcast the um the thing i really actually enjoyed um was or the thing that got me bought into the the story um in general was her um was the uh, was john williams and the music that went along with their love story like that that music actually is very moving mm-hmm. and so yeah. like if there's anything that had me bought into it it was that <laughs> i think mean, i think it was called like across the stars i think is the name of the song that he wrote mm-hmm. to kind of like symbolize their growing romance and that was the thing that actually got me in more than anything so yet again john williams saves the franchise <laughs> that's right um so again not talked about enough uh, how john williams is the i think the catalyst that makes star wars work yeah so um but anyway yes yeah, so that's that's kind of my two cents but other things, I mean, things that I liked about the prequels, starting with uh, Phantom Menace, like some of the stuff that kind of stood out to me, um, is I, I do think the introduction of Darth Maul was cool. I think that they beat it to death 
over the course of the next decade. But it's same with same with Boba Fett. Like maybe these characters just needed to be like really cool one-time appearance kind of things and not try and like overstay their welcome because it's hilarious to the point of like where we've gotten with uh, Darth Maul. But like, I feel like that, like that kind of like mysterious cloaked figure who can take on two Jedi. I thought, I, I, thought, I always found that kind of compelling. I always felt that kind of compelling. Um, but is there anything in maybe the first day doesn't have to be in like Phantom Menace, but like, is there stuff that you're like, Hey, this worked actually pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I, de- I derailed into, into being critical. Um, no, you're good. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that there are a few, a few scenes and a few concepts in, in Phantom Menace that are really good. Um, you know, that the pod race is one that like, it goes on for a little bit too long. But from, again, from a conceptual standpoint and from an execution standpoint, especially when you figure like this was 1999, you know, and you still yeah. watch and you still watch that race and you're like, holy crap, this works and it, it holds up it does. and it's still really cool. You know, um, like all that I think worked really well. The, the fight with between uh, Obi-Wan, um, Qui-Gon and Darth Maul is really, really good. The introduction, and I know it's not like the full introduction because there's, I guess there are some gestures towards it in, um, in the original trilogy, but like the introduction of Coruscant, you know, which be- became such uh, like a mainstay of the, the uh, prequel trilogy to see that kind of on screen was really cool. So there's, mm-hmm. there's some things that had become very like iconic star Wars from this movie. It's just the, the plot that holds kind of holds it all together is not as strong as, you know some of the other entries into the franchise but still mm-hmm. like it's just that again that glimpse into george lucas's brain of like all this stuff just comes spilling out for the world that he wanted to build which is the mm-hmm. big contrast between that and say like the sequel trilogy right is like living inside of george lucas's brain for the prequels was this entire galaxy of different ideas that he just wanted to get out there on screen as opposed to the sequels which you know just creatively weren't nearly on the same level um so just from a creative from a creativity standpoint the whole prequel trilogy is something i think to behold yeah yeah i agree and i think one of the things that's really fascinating that you point out is that star wars is kind of at the cutting edge of cinema um in a lot of ways i mean the original trilogy invents a lot of the technology that we kind of take for granted in terms of movie making and the same is true for the prequel trilogy like the thing that i think that that people really don't give enough credit for. Um, and I mean, you could actually probably critique this if you wanted to, but like the, the way that he uses visual effects at, in Star Wars at that time really sets up a lot of um, good things for people going forward. He kind of goes a little too crazy with it a little bit, I think, but, but yeah, you're right. That pod race is really great. Aura Singh. Uh, I love the one, <laughs> the one, piece that she gets to be in <laughs> the live action thing i've always loved aura Singh. i thought she had a really cool backstory um really mad that they decided to in one of the interquels decide just to kill her off by pushing her off of a roof or something i don't know and and in passing you don't even get to see it so uh here's hoping still for uh, an aura Singh, um maybe a disney plus series or something but um yeah, you're right. Like, uh, there's, and, and this is something too, like, you bring up the final bi- battle with like Darth Maul and Obi Wan. And this for me is the unsung hero of the prequels. And this is, I mentioned this when I was talking about the Obi Wan trailer, is Ian McGregor's acting. 
in this film series. Like, I always feel like he was able to capture very well the emotions of any given moment. For example, when Qui-Gon dies, um, I feel like he captured that scene really well. Like, just in that fight, like how angry he was and how he kind of loses focus and control and things like that. And I think that's, I, I still think that's just fantastic. And like him having to reset, calm down, you know, reach out like with the force and, you know, somehow cut Darth Maul in half. But I mean, the scene that always got me at the, was at the end of the movie of, um, uh, of uh, episode three, when he's, you know, just shouting down at Anakin <laughs> because, because of what he was supposed to be and all that good stuff. Like I felt like in terms of the movies, like that scene like delivered on something that I wish the some of the other stuff would deliver on. Because you, you know that there's some angst and some brokenness in Obi-Wan when he meets Darth Vader in episode four. You don't really know what it is. Like you know that Darth Vader exists, you know that he fell, he uh, or he was a, a pupil of of Obi-Wan and then you find out he's Anakin all this kind of good stuff and you know that there's some pain there um, but like they really show you in that moment like how much Anakin's turn hurts Obi-Wan right that moment where he kind of lets loose because even up until that point like he's very focused he's very stoic just like he's supposed to be a Jedi he has a mission he needs to fulfill it but in that moment he kind of emotes and, I, and I've always felt like he was able to, able to capture the feelings of every movie um, quite well. Like he was able to capture those emotions quite well. So um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like at the end of each movie, Obi-Wan kind of has an emotional moment, right. That kind of captures um, the dynamic between he and, and those characters. Like he's got that moment at the end of episode one where, you know, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon dies and he's, you know, holding him in his arms and like, strong strong emotional powerful scene episode two you know you've got him and anakin on the um the gunship you know and that's when padme falls out and the the guys don't know if you listen to caravan of garbage recently um from mr sunday movies but they have a nice riff on on that scene where obi-wan just flips his lid on on anakin because anakin's like put the ship down and he's like no that's enough. Like we are done with this whole thing and just kind of like lays into Anakin. And then at the end of the third one, you know, you've got that scene of, of him and uh, Anakin on the landing platform. And, you know, you were my brother, Anakin, I loved you. Like mm-hmm. just really dives into that. I think the I think the interesting thing about those scenes though, is that they're so, they're so emotional, partially because like the dialogue is delivered differently than so much of the other dialogue in the prequels. Like mm-hmm. the, the prequels, it's so much like, like uh, shot reverse shot, like long mm-hmm. dialogue. Like I'm sitting here, you're sitting there. We're just going to have a conversation as opposed mm-hmm. to like having dialogue within the context of like a moving kind of scene or an action scene or when they're on their way somewhere. Um, and mm-hmm. the red letter, the red letter media guys who have that really, really famous prequel kind of takedown of the Phantom Menace do a great job of like demonstrating kind of the difference and they, they juxtapose like Star Trek 2009 with a scene from, I think, The Phantom Menace, um, you know, where they're delivering all this exposition and all this dialogue in the in the Star Trek movie. But they're doing it in the middle of this like action scene, right, where they're running through the bowels right. of the, Star- the Enterprise and, you know, all this crazy stuff is happening. As a, And then they just cut it back to like the prequels. And it's just, like I said, 
Obi-Wan sitting down, Anakin sitting down, like both just kind of talking to each other. And it's just, I feel like as an actor, it's got to be hard to just do soap opera acting all the time, you know, where you're just kind of staring at the other person, delivering your, delivering your lines, as opposed to like, there's energy, there's excitement. I'm like sprinting through this, you know, this scene um, and really like diving into the, the, the situation that we're in as opposed to I'm just reading the script. So again, I think it just goes back to, goes back to direction. And I do really, really wonder what the prequel trilogy would have turned out like if, if George Lucas would have written them and directed the art department and gotten all those things from his head out on paper. Um, but if they were directed by somebody else, and yeah. you know, whether it's a Spielberg or a James Cameron or whoever, I think those wonder, options. Spielberg was early on. I'm not sure if James Cameron ever was, but Spielberg, oh I know gosh. for sure, uh, was was considered at one point. Oh my gosh! Wow. Why did the, so? Why did George Lucas want to ultimately let someone else direct it? This is new information, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think ultimately it was a control thing. Like I think that the, they were just his babies, and he he wanted to do it. And so he did, but I think, you know, all those behind the scene clips and things that we see, I think he's just got a little bit too much power and too much control, especially with some of the editing techniques, you know, that were available at his fingertips with um, digital cinema and uh, the special effects and things. Cause it really famously, right. There's these moments where they actually will create new takes of the actors as opposed to like integrating whole shots, they'll be like, well, I'll take this frame and then combine it with this frame or this line. And he like totally changes the actor's um, delivery, right? By like combining these shots that never actually existed organically. So I think he just, I think he just really wanted control um, to yeah. see his vision come to life. But unfortunately it was just a little bit too myopic, you know, a little bit too solitary. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's 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 fascinating to me just with all of the um, like the what ifs because with Star Wars more than anything, especially in recent years, I just have so many what ifs. I, what if what if the J.J. Abrams would have directed the Last Jedi? Um, what if they would have had and written out a complete story before they did the the trilogy? You know. And, you know, what if, um, in, in some sense, we're, we're dialing back now a little bit with Luke Skywalker, but um, I have another one, like, like with the prequels, like what if we would have gotten more of that kind of, like if Spielberg, Spielberg would have directed those movies, that would have been so great. Oh my gosh. Um, but again, you can't go back. You can't go back. And um, even if they were to like reshoot, for example, like the sequel trilogy, like it just, it, it won't mean as much because, the same thing, we'll talk about this when we get to the sequels, but um, the same feeling that I had as a kid waiting for episode one was the feeling I had waiting for The Force Awakens. Um, and I mean, we at that time, we'd graduated with our master's degrees and we'd actually planned to drive out, you know, and see it together as adults, right? So there's a lot of things that go along with it. And so in some sense, like part of being a Star Wars fan is learning how to embrace the... Um, the the badness to the goodness mm-hmm. and there's no better example of that than the, than the prequels because you do have Ewan McGregor just killing it you do have these really awesome battle scenes 
but then you just have like a lot of just weird racism for some reason that is that made it to the galaxy, you know, like, um, which is not something I picked up as a kid, but like as an adult, I'm like, why does the Gungan need to talk like that? Or the, uh, the Viceroy for that matter. Um, the Viceroy is doubly bad because it even looks racist when you look at it. Um, so anyway, it's just, it's, it's just one of those things that like Star Wars for some reason requires you to have to accept that some of this is going to be really awful, <laughs> uh, but some of it's going to be like stuff that's going to stay with you for your whole life. Um, that matters to you. Like that, that scene with, uh, with Obi-Wan at the end, um, you know, shouting down at Anakin and then going to be banished basically on, on Tatooine. Um, like those are just really moving things for me. Um, that really meant a lot to me as a kid, because like in some sense, like, <laughs> you know i i process things through through movies like emotionally and kind of speaking and i, I think that this is this is why star wars has taught me a lot but um yeah any other final thoughts on that before we switch to kind of some theological things that i wanted to talk about here no i don't i don't think so i think um you know the prequels they've just they've been talked to death at this point over the last 20 years and they're they are what they are right so mm-hmm. I think there's just such so many really good moments to pull out of them um, in the midst of something that is an overall experience just is far short of what I think people wanted or expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you go into watching them or rewatching them with that acknowledgement and you're like, I'm just, I'm going to take this for what it's worth and, um, and enjoy it because they are still enjoyable experiences. Yeah. I think even like when I went back and watched it, like it's my, one of my least favorite star Wars movies of all time is attack of the clones. Um, also they just, they do Obi-Wan so dirty in those last two movies, because like the first one, he takes out Darth Maul on his own. The second two, he's just completely punked out every single time. Like, um, gets knocked out by, uh, by Dooku twice. Like just, and I, I just remember watching that being like, what? <laughs> like, this is weird. Um, I mean, granted, that Yoda battle was still fun. Like, I just remember my in the auditorium that I watched it, in, a collective laugh came out when he like <laughs> jumped when he jumped off frame and like started like lightsaber battling um, Dooku. Um, I mean, we we even talked about barely any of the other characters. I mean, you've got like Samuel Jackson's Mace Windu. Um, Ironically, I guess the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy at that point, because um, he defeats, um, you know, Sidious on his own. Um, if only he would have just <laughs> gotten to kill him before Anakin got there, this whole thing would have happened. Um, you know, Yoda and kind of his own um, journey through those films, all this stuff. I mean, I mean, Padme, Naboo. Um, we didn't we didn't talk about the the Dark Lord, the real Dark Lord of the Sith. Um, uh, Jar Jar Binks, um, all this kind of good stuff. But I mean, there's just like, like you said, they've been talked to death. So there's no, it, there's no use kind of rehashing like old treaded ground. But there are two theological themes that I find really compelling about these films. Like, if I ever, like, sometimes I do, I teach a class on theology and film, and I always use the prequels to talk about original sin. <laughs> um, not because just they're sinfully bad, which is an, another thing, but like the, the fall of Anakin Skywalker in some sense has to do 
with the original sin in two senses. Like you've talked about it, like Anakin, and it's kind of like the the horribleness of being a slave is kind of glossed over in Phantom Menace because he's just kind of this happy-go-lucky kid who just has quirky ideas about racing, you know, pod racers. And he even like even have that day where like Wada was like, yeah, you can go home, like go like go home early. Like it, he doesn't he don't get the gruesome side of what slavery is in him, but it still is. It should be, and it, it kind of like lops itself on Anakin, and then Anakin it's kind of has this undiagnosed or undealt with kind of like emotions with that. He has these really bad nightmares with his mom, can't really deal with her death, so murders an entire village of sand people, um, and then finally he can't accept the death of his. Um, uh, his wife and so he murders basically all the Jedi in the galaxy so in some sense like original sin for me um, in, in this in this story is is really an, an inability to because um, I think like in terms of like the garden where you have Adam and Eve like par- part of the sin is eating the apple definitely but the main part of it is is also like them trying to disguise it from God like you know trying to take by his own power to grasp a hold of the thing that he shouldn't right so yoda's like wisdom i think is actually really powerful where it's like if you just let go of the things you fear to lose like you will you will not go down this path of the dark side because um because you won't be trying to control everything so they can keep those things and i always think that like that's such a compelling story about like him losing all this stuff and you can see the cascade starting to happen because it makes sense. Like, I mean, if you've ever been a love listener, you probably would want to kill the entire Jedi if you wanted to protect that person as well. But theologically, it's just, it's such an interesting kind of fall to watch um, in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you, do you see that? Am I crazy? Yeah, I think there's like a, um, a reality of like a self-fulfilling prophecy to Anakin's story um and also to sin right Right. like we we kind of imagine um we we kind of imagine our lives as being lacking or as being without something um and so oftentimes we try to take shortcuts to that to to attaining or achieving that thing um or you know finding that relationship or you know gaining that sensation or whatever it might be but in the process end up stealing that away from ourselves, you know, or stealing mm-hmm. kind of the, the long-term fulfillment of that away from ourselves. And that's what you see with Anakin is, you know, he, he's so desperately, well, he loves Padme, you know, but he, he mm-hmm. so desperately wants to be with her. So desperately wants to protect her, but in every step that he takes to try to do that, he just gets closer and closer and closer to her being taken from him for forever. Right. And from his life mm-hmm. completely changing. Um, and I think, I think, we we have a tendency to do that um when it comes to to our own sin where we kind of just walk yeah. down these roads that we think are going to go to happiness that are going to go to fulfillment going to go to you know um where we ultimately want to be but it, in reality we're just actually moving further away from um you know what's what's actually going to lead to fulfillment or contentment or um yeah you know peace yeah and it, it's it's so compelling I, again, I, it's, I think that like one of the things the galaxy desperately needs are like trauma therapists, um, <laughs> because like you, you've got, you, I mean, and also just like 
I think just like a good old fashioned workshop of like when to see red flags in somebody like just like that departmental like the hr mandated kind of thing that we ought to go through like hey when is somebody experiencing a depressive episode that you might need to talk, <laughs> tell someone about anakin just constantly gives those things to people and obi-wan and padme are both like nah he'll be all right like <laughs> like the fact like when she's like when he admits to her that he murdered an entire village of sand people she does nothing tells nobody like <laughs> yeah. and i just feel like that is an alarm like like that's i mean it has to be right like i mean um there should at least be know. a pamphlet you know so you just committed genocide uh it's, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's captain america sitting in the backwards chair yeah, um, exactly. a psa right um but no i mean like i think that i mean granted at this point like you know that she has an open dialogue with obi-wan um because like there's several times even in the clone wars where he kind of mentions that he knows that they're together which again to be fair like obi-wan should probably have done something about this a while ago <laughs> so um he just doesn't and you know hey that's fine it's i mean it's part of the story so what do you do but um i mean it's it's crazy to me to hear that um and and think anything like like okay this is normal behavior like i mean it's one thing to say that i wanted to kill him like i'm grieving that kind of thing to say no i did it i did that thing but it's also it's just so perfect for original sin because like the sin that was sown into him from an early age of like being a slave and probably being abused right watching his mom be abused like festers in a certain sense um and you know I, again jake doesn't really capture that as well and again i couldn't do it better i couldn't have done any better but um he doesn't really capture that well in the scenes leading up to his final even like i mean he goes straight from tatooine to blowing up a droid ship you know pretty powerful stuff <laughs> but like that's that stuff is like sewn into him to such a degree that like when he loses his mom like that pain just bubbles to the surface and so it's like the sins that we commit are in some sense like a result of also the sins that have been committed against us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is such a true story. Like, you know, trauma begets trauma. Um, and, you know, even as like a kid, like I remember as a little kid, like I struggled with that scene where he had to leave his mom behind. But, you know, I, was, I mean, I was a mama's boy, still am, but it was just hard because like he, um, he, he left behind his mom and this is the one thing he feared that would happen. And Yoda's like, just say, hey, don't, don't, don't fear, it'll be fine. And then the one thing that he didn't want to happen, that exact thing happened. <laughs> and, so, um, and so it's just, it's challenging, like, for me, because I, on the one hand, like, I, I think that, like, so much sin comes from that. The original sin is this kind of, like, I think this in-being sin, as Wesley would call it, is this kind of just, like, sin that um, is just a part of what it means to be human. It's, it's, it's there in systems. It's there in um, not only our own actions and thoughts and hearts, but it's in the actions and thoughts and hearts of others. Um, and that sin kind of like takes its toll, um, for, for lack of a better term, kind of on, on the world and on us. And so that, that sense and his, his own inability to finally like own up to it at any point, right? So like the way that this kind of concludes is like you've got this dialogue right before the battle where um obi-wan is trying to talk some sense into him and 
And he says, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, right? And so he's now kind of created like all the excuses in the world to justify his own position, including, but not limited to um, making the Jedi the enemy. That one order that he swore to uphold and protect and all that kind of stuff. Like his own inability to be accountable, much like Adam and Eve, to what he's done is one of those pieces that really, I think speaks really well of like what sin looks like <laughs> um, when it comes down to like its most raw form, this inability to actually take any kind of like, um, like responsibility for what one has done, um, which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, the I second think- one would be, Good. There you go. Uh, I was going to say, I think it raises a question, like Anakin's story raises a question about its attachment, right? And like, yeah. what's what's the best what's the best way to address attachment, right? So, like, clearly the Jedi yeah. have kind of taken taken this route of the best way to teach people not to turn to the dark side when they lose their attachments is just to avoid attachment, right? So, like. If right. you don't, if you, yeah, if you don't marry, if you don't have relationships, if you don't have these things, because Anakin says like, well, we believe in compassion, which is, you know, this kind of selfless love, but we don't believe in attachment. So their, their, their way of avoiding it is just to, to not have it. Whereas, you know, I think like what Luke Skywalker embraces later in like the expanded universe is the opposite, right? So like Luke is married, Luke has children. He, he invites Jedi of kind of all ages and different stages of life to be trained. You don't have to be like taken as an infant and trained up with these weird sexless monks. <laughs> and like That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and he takes like a very different approach. Right. So then the question is like, how do you avoid the kind of heartbreak or bad decisions that can come from having something and then losing it. Right. And so, and I think that's a relevant question for, for us as believers too, um, you know, I don't think like God, God, I don't think is against attachment, right? Like we're supposed to have relationships. We're supposed to have depth of relationship. Um, we're supposed to have close community, right? Which all comes with attachment. We don't, we don't have believe in this kind of like Eastern transcendental, like Buddhist kind of way of thinking of like, we're, we're supposed to get above the material world because none of this actually matters. Right. right? Like we believe that this is good and this, but, but we learn to cope and we learn to deal with loss as part of a broken world Mm -hmm. Um, and to, and to see ourselves and to see everything around us as temporary, like, and as, um, as kind of transient. Right. So the Bible talks about like our life is, is but a vapor, um, our years go faster than a weaver shuttle. Like the Bible talks very explicitly about how quickly time goes um, and that we don't really own any of this, right? Like this at, right. at the end of the day, all belongs to God, um, which I think is, a, which I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I, I think it's a much healthier way of looking at the yeah. material world and looking at our lives rather than to say like, yeah, if you get involved with this, it's going to mess you up. So it's best just to avoid it. Um, like, yeah. I don't think that's what we're intended for. Yeah, and does George Lucas anywhere talk about who he models the Jedi philosophy off of the most? Like, is it meant to be Buddhist? Um, it's yeah, it's supposed to be. It's meant to be kind of Eastern Eastern religion. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's it's also like the sense in which it's very stoic. In that, like, you know, attachments are the the source of 
like the uh, i mean even our law says this like our our possessions are the sources of our violence mm-hmm. um and i think that that's I, I think there's something profoundly um true about that and i guess one of the things that like also frustrates me about the fact that disney decided just to abandon the extended universe entirely is that luke had found a way to balance better um between the light and the dark and when when we see him in the sequel trilogy but also um now in the mandalorian he is repeating the same bad things and i'm wondering if part of it and and russell johnson uh who's our friend who works at the university of chicago he's i just think written really beautifully on the religion of the mandalorian um as kind of like this like really um helpful way to think about religion in star wars because we always think about the jedi as being the religious people because they believe in the force and things like that i mean that is true they are religious but like the idea of like the 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 mandalorian just as we see him um like he when he hears about attachments right that goes against the like attachments is the very core of the uh and like and and brotherhood and um, those kind of things are at the core of what it means to be a Mandalorian to practice that religion. Um, I think that that's so fascinating. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the series, but in some sense, like <clears throat> what the Mandalorian is prescribing in terms of attachments is exactly what Luke does in the extended universe. And so, you know, the things that he, <laughs> the things that Luke kind of perpetuates the scene as, as the problem in uh as, as what he sees as the problem in the in the fall of the Jedi, which he names quite quite explicitly in the Last Jedi, he just perpetuated, right? And so, in some sense, you're never outside of this loop. That's the thing that frustrates me, I think, the most about Star Wars is that each series escapes the loop to such a degree, only to find themselves in the next trilogy, right back where they started. Um, maybe less so between the prequels and the sequel uh, and the, sorry, the prequels and the original trilogy, but like the whole arc of the first trilogy is the defeating of the power of the dark side, defeating the empire. And now there's light. And then right back to the beginning of the sequels, everything's back to square one. Yeah. And, and the, and the same thing happens at the end of the sequel trilogy. And I, I mean, I don't know what's, gonna, <laughs> what's going to, what's going to break that cycle. Like we just keep on hitting this cycle over and over and over again. And you're right. It's this idea of attachment. If we could just teach like healthy boundaries and healthy relationships, <laughs> you know, if, if Anakin felt like he didn't have to hide his relationship with Padme from the Jedi Council, right? If uh, if Sidious didn't have that way into um, his own concerns and anxieties and things like that, I will say the one nugget that I really love from the sequel trilogy that bears directly on this uh, is when Luke tells Ray you know, confronting fear is the destiny of the Jedi, which doesn't mean confronting it with apathy. It means confronting it with courage, um, which seems to be the way to break the loop. And it's just such a beautiful line <laughs> that I hate that it took that long for someone to say that so explicitly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I struggle with that too. And I think, I think you put your finger on it. It's the idea of attachment. I, um, um... And that's the source of our sin. I'm interested to hear your second question, but the one other thing I'll add is like, I think I think you mentioned Palpatine, which popped something into my head that I think like he's, he's a, such a great example of like Satan. Right. So, right. so the way that, you know, 
Satan, I feel like will will take your um, your insecurities, you know, and yeah. the things the things where you are most vulnerable. Like it's the story of Jesus in the desert, right? Like Jesus re- rebuffs Satan three times, and then it says, you know, that he departed from him until an opportune time, right? So like, yeah, it's always it's always a crime of opportunity when it comes to the devil, and that's yeah. what Sidious does, right? Like he just he gets his claws into Anakin in this place where he is most vulnerable, which is this yeah. this idea of attachment and the loss of his mother, and he just like speaks whispers in his ear over and over again and says, you know, you know, you know what it was like to lose your mother in this way. Um, you know, and imagine losing Padme in that way. And, you know, don't you want to do this, this, and this to try to prevent that from happening? Um, right, it's, so yeah. mani- it's so it's so deceitful and it's so manipulative um, and mm, it's so evil, yeah. right? But I feel like that's very much our experience with, with evil in our world that, you know, yeah. most people that start down that path, like they don't do it because they're like, I want to be bad today, right? But it's, it's something that oh, yeah. they, they buy into a lie. Um, we buy into Absolutely. a lie. Um, about what it, what it can give us. Yeah, and I, I think that there's there's a really strong critique and parallel between that and like the the church today, right? The 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 kind of ways that um, like cult like popular kind of culture in a certain sense like um, dominates um, or like le- leads people into like lives that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise chosen, right? like it's it's very much in sense that the church is just not willing to really discuss or talk about this and so they you search for answers in the places where you find inclusion where you feel like you're being understood mm-hmm. and that's the one thing that that palpatine absolutely gives to um uh to anakin at several key points in his life is this feeling of being understood like his desires to be on the jedi council he puts him on the jedi council his desire is to um you know find dooku he helps him find dooku um all kinds of like stuff like that it's just like it's so crucial to see how that's 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 the story that's why it's such a good story to i think uh, show church people to be like hey this isn't just a fun thing this is something you really need to think about because these challenges don't confront us when we're thinking that we're intentionally like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go sin today <laughs> it's it's <clears throat> it's it arises from like thinking that you're doing the right thing and and i think that that's that's a powerful thing the, the second question i mean just so you know this is the idea of pride um and this is something that that luke names i think really well in the last jedi is like the fact that the jedi thought that they were so necessary and essential and powerful that they um that they were invincible in certain sense and you know you have like um, Yoda and um, you have Yoda and uh, Mace Windu at several points, kind of having that conversation. Like, hey, we um, are not really living our best lives right now. Um, <laughs> we probably should tell someone. And just like with Anakin, like they're they're just like, nah, we'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be all right. Um, and I mean, I don't know if. Um, if anything would have changed, if they would have informed the Senate that something bad was happening. Um, but at the same time, it's just one of those things that I'm like, um, yeah, there's, I mean, they, they talk about attachments in some sense, like at, ad nauseum to, to Anakin, but at the same time, like, you know, they can't really actually see how they're attached to their own power and influence mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so, 
I mean, I know that like this is something that the the prequels have been nailed pretty hard on, like in terms of like the the galactic politics and bureaucracy. I always thought that was so cool <laughs> and so fascinating. I loved the Senate hearings in a sense because it like it was it was just really interesting to see how like like galactic politics worked, and also really great cameos from ET. Um, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's um like the pride of the Jedi is the thing that led to their downfall. It was, it was, it was just that, that, that kind of like their own sense of like superiority is something they can never really let go of. I mean, do you sense that at all when you, when you watch these films? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of like the verse from second Timothy about like, the, having the, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Right. Like right. that's what, that's what I feel like the Jedi are at where they have, they've got this big temple and they've got all this, the grandiosity and they've got this tremendous status inside the Republic. Right. But like internally, they just, they're wasting away um, and they're well past their prime and they've kind of lost their way um, because of their political entanglements, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. That's, that's why it's, it's interesting. Like, well, A, we never get to see the Jedi kind of rebuilt post Luke Skywalker in the sequel trilogy. Like there is no Jedi order that exists there, but it is interesting that Luke kind of goes back to, okay, we're going to establish a Jedi temple and we're going to train up this new generation. Because one of the things that I always liked about kind of how Je the Jedi were talked about in the original trilogy, or like at least Luke's story was that it was much more, um, almost much more like grassroots, right? Like, um, it's a, it was a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, like a little bit more grimy, you know, in how one mm. becomes a Jedi. <laughs> um, you know, it's not this like formal training where you go this step, this step, this step. It's like, hey, here's somebody who has this ability. Like, let's let's train them. And like, I like the idea of the Jedi not being this formal order with the temple on Coruscant, and, you know, the, the flowing robes, but like a little bit more grounded you know, um, in, in Luke Skywalker's mm -hmm. Jedi order, which again, as I feel like what we get in the expanded universe, um, of this just variety of different people from different walks of life who become Jedi Knights. Um, but yeah, the, the, the prequel trilogy Jedi, even though they look like they've got it all together, they're really a, an institution that has eroded pretty far. Um, and that's part of why they're so easily manipulated you know, by Palpatine that he just, he has them right where they want them. Yeah. And I, it's, it speaks to the power of Palpatine to be able to do that. Um, like to, to kind of speak in that level. And in some sense, like the thing that I really, I didn't make it very far in the extended universe before Disney canceled it, but I read the first book. Um, I think it was just into the void. It was the, um, it was like supposed to be like several thousand years before the battle of the Avon. Um, and it was before even the old Republic and the Jedi were trained um, by going to basically this planet. And it wasn't like at a certain age, but um, my, my recollection, it's been quite a while since I read the book is that there's all these different aspects of it that you go to different temples and kind of learn different stuff. Like one of them was science. The other was like, you know, you know, force pushing and things like that, um, saber technique, saber techniques and things like that. But then you'd also go and learn about the dark side, um, which I always thought was so balanced. And I, again, this was the thing that I thought that they were going to deliver on in The Last Jedi was the fact that Luke had found a new kind of balance 
that wasn't about being all on the good side and all that kind of stuff. Um, but rather it was about a balance between light and dark where one could appreciate both and that kind of sense. And so like, I think that, um, I think that like, like you're right. Like this idea of like, granted to be fair, like in terms of somebody who spent most of his time in formal education, like it gives me high chest anxiety to see like Ray pick up a lightsaber and be like, Oh yeah, the force. And then just like be able to fight. Like, even if they try and make the excuse that like he was, uh, that, that Kylo Ren was like distracted because he just killed his dad. Like fair enough. But at the same time, you know, stuff, she doesn't know stuff. Um, you know, it just, it stresses, it stressed me out to no end. And in some sense, like it was like the, like the weekend retreat that he had with Yoda, which we actually don't know how long it was. And so, um, and he'd received some significant training from, from Obi-Wan. That's true. Too. I think it was, I think it was supposed to be months, um, at least, or at least, at least several weeks, which is again, not that much time, but I think it was, it was longer than just a couple of days that Luke was there. I think, I think it was supposed to be a couple of months that he was there. Yeah. Which is, I mean, again, like it's more than what Ray had. I mean, I don't know. That's the stressful thing about it, but the, um, like with, with this idea of like grassroots kind of like almost like learning a trade is less mm-hmm. formal in that sense. It's more of like a trade pickup. Like the Jedi was like a, like a discipleship process. It wasn't like a, like a common core process, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really good. And well, so, and like the, the, the picture that like from attack of the clones, you know, with like all the little kids with their little blast shields down with their little lightsabers, like against the training yeah. remotes. Like that's just never what I envisioned when I thought about the training of the Jedi, you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. know, like maybe when you're a teenager, you get your lightsaber and then you start, you know, doing combat stuff. But like the idea of like a mm-hmm. six-year-old with this little, <laughs> you know, mini right. lightsaber de- deflecting blaster bolts. I'm like, that doesn't feel like what Jedi training should actually look like. No, totally. And it's it's also just so funny because like um it seems very sterile in that sense. Like mm-hmm. uh like Luke out in the swamp mm-hmm. confronting his fears in that cave, like that feels less sterile to me. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I think that like in some sense like the spiritual nature of like what the um like the finding like the one thing that we never really got to explore in any of the movies like live action movies was like the the spiritual process that one has to go through in order to get your lightsaber like it's a journey mm-hmm. <laughs> right you got you got to travel get your kyber crystal and then you've got to pick a uh, you got to pick like a like a handle and like material that fits like your kind of like unique gifts and things like that like i'll never forget like the the wookie <laughs> the wookie jedi from the, the clone wars like he uh, he picks a one made out of wood oh yeah um i thought that was really cool so but it's just it's one of those things that like at, at that point in time like the sterility of it and the just the um uh i think just like the uh in a sense like the stuffiness of like what the jedi had become in some sense, like in, in episode one, like I felt very mystified by like Qui Gon Jinn, like talking about you know Jedi and, and being a Jedi and that kind of thing. But like once you kind of get introduced into the inner sanctum and stuff like this, like this is just bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, just, I, I think that, I wonder, like, do Jedi fill out expense reports? That's right. Yeah, you know, like... that's right. <laughs> They have a year and end, they have a year end pass report. They have to submit like how many calls they submitted and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. 
that's hilarious oh my gosh but yeah i mean that's the pride i think like when when it becomes an institution in a certain sense that's when the jedi fall and and you see the thing that i really like about it is that it it, and this is again just one of the minor things that i appreciate about the the like the prequel trilogy is that you see that complexity in yoda because yoda sees it like from the very beginning like the end of episode one he and mace when they were talking about the fact it's like if there could be if the new like because remember when when qui-gon and obi-wan first tell the jedi council that the sith are back and they're like no mm-hmm. well there hasn't been a sith in so long mm-hmm. and there's actually been quite a few sith actually mm-hmm. um and at the end like yoda and mace windu were like talking and they're like it's really disturbing that um we did not notice this um and like you can see that like the the clouds starting to form over Yoda's mind that he's gonna have to fight with this and wrestle with this for the rest of his kind of journey throughout the trilogy because he's he's very much like he's he, in, in episode two like he's the one who stops like Mace Windu from telling the, the 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 Senate or episode three from telling the Senate that this is actually this is happening <laughs> and stuff mm-hmm. like that and so again it's it's one of those things that it complexifies his character like he's he's not quite always sure of himself but he puts the aura of being sure to the point of like you know really picking up on destructive things like not being able to tell sooner is what leads to the you know i think the senate probably citing sidious for for multitude of reasons they probably cited with sidious but <laughs> it is it is deeply it is deeply problematic that in the heart of like what's supposed to be the most pure order in the galaxy is this real deep um temptation to pride mm-hmm. and i think that, i think that's a powerful like thing to think about even as it relates to the church like this what the church is supposed to be in our own kind of fundamental disposition to be very prideful at times in the way we interact with the world um and so anyway those are the two theological things but as we're kind of wrapping up here is there any Anything that we didn't touch on, it could be theological, spiritual, or not at all with the uh, prequel trilogy that you think is worth talking about? As we were sitting here, uh, as we were talking, one thing popped into my head about just the, de- the depiction of the Jedi in, in Star Wars. Um, and this was a, a thread I think the sequel trilogy could have picked up on um, that they did not um, <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. But I, one of the things that I really appreciated about the EU back in the day was um, in the new Jedi Order series, in particular, the Jedi become almost enemies of the state, uh, enemies of the Republic. They're, mm. they're, they're kind of picked out uh, by one of the particular one of the political leaders who's one of Leia's political rivals um, and kind of used as scapegoats um, for some of the issues that were facing them and the war that they were going through um, at the time. And I think that would be that would have been kind of an interesting twist of like we've got the Jedi in their prime in the in the prequel trilogy. Um, the they just don't exist at all in the original trilogy, with the exception of just a couple of stragglers. But then you know, as they start to reemerge, like Luke Skywalker starts a new Jedi Academy. I feel like there's a lot of people in the galaxy who'd be like, "Listen, your kind just plunged us into 20 years of darkness. Like a Sith Lord was the Emperor." we all were enslaved. We all were oppressed. Like his right-hand man is, mm-hmm. you know, whether they find out he's Anakin Skywalker or not, but like his right-hand man is another one of these lightsaber wielding weirdos. Like 
we're not super eager to have you back as Jedi, like policing the galaxy. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I feel like that would be, yeah, that would be cool. an interesting story to tell um, from a Star Wars kind of standpoint of like, what does it look like to try to win back that trust or, or can you, you know, after you've yeah. de- decimated the galaxy for 20 years. Um, yeah. But and it'd be a new story too. I mean, that's the thing that's so great about the extended universe is that there's all these really great stories that actually do take, what star wars has been and transforms it into something new um which is not what we got with the sequel trilogy as many people who say that well the last jedi did that they just didn't let it play out i just don't buy that because i think that it's the same thing it's the same thing over and over and over again of light and dark and all the people on the light side and all the people on the dark side fighting against each other um instead of kind of the ways in which it can be displayed, which is through this kind of intrigue. Again, I'm not one of the people that says like, oh, that's not Star Wars. I mean, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. all of it's Star Wars. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And that's not a good critique of the sequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy for that matter, because Star Wars can change and evolve. I've never been against that. It's just the fact that like the stories that they have been told have, have really just run their course. Mm-hmm. And, and there has to be something new. And again, I think that's, you see it a little bit with Mandalorian. Like that's a new kind of story that's being told um, that has some of the same old kind of tropes and everything like that. But again, um, uh, I, you got to take the good with the bad with Star Wars and that's, that's okay. That's okay. I think Star Wars needs a big shakeup. Um, you know, I think, I think Ryan Johnson tried to do that with the last Jedi and just kind of did it in the really wrong way. But, you know, you and I just saw Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness um, recently and, that was just a very different take on a Marvel movie worked in some ways, didn't work in other ways, but like, yeah, yeah. what does it look like to inject some, something new like that into, into star Wars and take a few risks? Cause I think, I think after getting kind of burned early on, I think Disney has been playing it very safe um, and it hasn't been the most. Yeah. Game. Yeah, you're right. And it's one of those things that like, I mean, granted, I don't know how long Marvel's going to be around. I really don't. But people have drawn this comparison all the time because it's two properties owned by Disney that relatively took off around the same time. I think, I mean, Marvel was popular um, with like movies like Spider-Man and X-Men, all these different kinds of things coming out like throughout the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, But, you know, they they really didn't start to take off until the Avengers movie came out and then they made you know two billion dollars um and then the rest is kind of history and in some sense like they've been the one thing that they've been trying to avoid is like all right when are we going to jump the shark with this stuff and when are people going to stop caring and to their credit they have kept a large amount of people interested in them for a decade now i would say they have not been around as long as star wars star wars has more staying power than marvel will probably have because i don't know if we're going to have marvel movies in 30 years um i do think we'll still be talking about star wars though like it just doesn't have that same kind of ethos i think that some people will like the comics people like that but i just don't think these will but in some sense like the story that's really interesting that people are drawing from is the fact that like the marvel movies have been able to tell very interesting stories that change and evolve characters in really drastic ways mm-hmm. um and in ways that the like people are gonna get behind like i mean just look at how much captain america changed over the course of his tenure in the marvel cinematic universe like 
from being just kind of this two-dimensional soldier who wants to go fight America's war to being this very complicated politically um, anarchist kind of guy who um, decides to, you know, go back in time and spend, <laughs> spend his life actually not as a superhero. Like, how interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, same with, like, Tony Stark, you know, the, the same guy that, like, he's just this very selfish guy who makes this very self-sacrificial move at the end of Endgame to defeat Thanos like it's just it's incredible like they, they've been able to tell those stories and you're right Doctor Strange like it takes it to a whole nother level and the momentum is still there the momentum is still there but with Star Wars like and we'll talk about this with the interquels I think Solo is actually a pretty good movie like I'm not saying it's the best movie but it 100% suffered from the fallout of The Last Jedi like I think that you know that was being built up to be this another trilogy inside of the Interquel series. Like you can tell that they weren't done with it, and Disney just decided to pull the plug <laughs> because mm-hmm. of the negativity <laughs> surrounding it. And and it comes from this ability to weave together stories. Like they're it's the same company. Like that's the thing that's crazy. Um, um, what we need, and I, again, I don't mean this to sound anywhere negative to Kathleen Kennedy at all, but. We need a Kevin Feige for Star Wars um, who can plot out 10, 20 years in the future, like a story, and then keep all these smaller films and projects pointed in the same direction so that we can get these big payoffs like we did at Endgame. I mean, the power of what happens with Tony Stark in Endgame only comes from the person who in 2008 <laughs> watched Tony Stark um, be blown up in a desert somewhere mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. And we need that um, in some sense. And, and it has to be with a new um, group of people um, because the, the Skywalkers are not going to be around too much longer. I mean, they're doing the best they can, I think admirably so with Luke and Mark Hamill, but Mark Hamill is old, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And so if Star Wars is going to continue to tell stories and they've got to, they've got to do that in a way that's not going to cause people to throw their, like throw their fists through TV sets, you know, and things like that. So um, I'm interested to see where it goes though, because I know that we're not done with Star Wars. Um, we're not done with Star Wars. And so um, I'm interested to see where we go. Yeah. But, yeah. There's, there's going to be a lot more. I mean, they're going to keep riding that pony as long as they possibly can. So uh, hopefully yeah. we get, hopefully we get more good than bad. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, especially as we kind of, yeah. like you said, kind of move away from the Skywalker story um, and get some, some new ideas and some new characters. And I think it'll be, yeah. I think, I think, the, I think the future is, I actually think the future is bright. Um, I think I'll always be a little bit caught up and um kind of how things ended with the sequel trilogy, but at the same time, um, I think there's, there's some good stuff on the way, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And I, you see some of that with Mandalorian, but at the same time, some of the best Mandalorian stuff involves Skywalker stuff, you know? Right. And so in some sense, it's like, um, and I, and to, to the credit of Kathleen Kennedy versus Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige has a whole multitude of stories that he gets to rely on since the fact that the, the Disney has just completely abandoned the extended universe, they don't really have those stories anymore. They could, like they brought back Thrawn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, in some sense, that's where you got to go, I feel like. If you want to do this well and bring back the fan base, just draw from those stories that people liked, you know, and just make them real. And 
I think that's that's where you got to go. But that's just me. I'm not in control of a multi-billion-dollar company, so um, I will uh, leave that be. <laughs> uh, well. I think that's about all the time that we have for tonight. We've talked about this for a while. I think it's some good stuff too. Um, but uh, any final thoughts as we wrap it up here, Luke? No, I don't think so. Looking forward to continuing the conversation and uh, looking forward to Obi Wan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm interested to see uh, where this one goes and how I'm going to feel about Star Wars afterwards for sure. Um, but you know, uh, if you're interested in this stuff, like fear not we've got lots more coming we're going to talk about the interquels next the sequels and the tv series uh which will heavily emphasize mandalorian and boba fett um but we'll also probably get into the rebels and and uh, clone war stuff just by by default there's been some great stuff there too so uh, please stay tuned for that we've got only a few more weeks now um before we actually get to obi-wan and so there's only going to be a few more episodes left and so be on the lookout for that. Um, if you want to help the podcast out in any meaningful way, uh, the best way to do that is to leave us a review. Um, you can do that on any platform that you listen to us on. It really helps other people find us. Um, but if you have any questions or maybe some stuff that we missed that you'd like to see me and Luke cover in terms of Star Wars, please feel free to uh, tweet at me um, at Duke13Theo or at Art House Road, which is our main uh, Twitter handle. Uh, but you can also email us too. Um, and uh, you can check us out anytime um, that you want to and send us some questions and some stuff or some feedback that you'd like to hear us cover. And so please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. But until next time, uh, stay safe, and we will see you here on the Art House Roadshow. Bye, guys. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.